Hello, I'm Katie Daly. Thanks for joining me on Bluegrass Stories, which I produce with my friends Akira Otska and Howard Parker. Family bands are the backbone of bluegrass music. Howard Parker spoke with Ryan Paisley, grandson of Bob Paisley and son of Dan Paisley. Ryan, an excellent mandolin player, describes what it was like growing up Paisley. All Thank set. you. Thank you, music lovers. <laughs> that was Ernest Tubb, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay, boys and girls, this is... This was Howard Parker. This, this was Howard Parker. <laughs> and uh, we're here at the 34th Annual Joe Val Bluegrass Festival, and uh, pleased to be here with Mr. Ryan Paisley. Well, good afternoon. How are you, Howard? I am tired. How are you, Ryan? I, I'm right there behind you. <laughs> yeah. We've had a couple of long nights, haven't we? We have had a couple of long nights. And but it's, that's good. We've, that means we've been having fun. Isn't that, it? Is, that is very, very true. So just by way of introduction, in, in case there's like one person out there. Oh, I bet there's more than that. That, uh, that is not, uh, not aware. You are the grandson of Bob Paisley. That's it. Yeah. I and sure you are the son of the legendary Danny Paisley. Yes. <laughs> and uh, with your dad, Dan... Uh-huh. You you are in a band. Indeed. That would be Danny Paisley in the Southern Grass. Excellent. Uh I think what I I would like to ask is it's we've got three generations of Paisley and you were involved in music. Well, maybe I should ask uh, and just for calibration, not not to embarrass anybody, but you are 20 years old, is that? 19. Correct? 19. Okay. Yeah. Going on 20. Close enough. Yes. Going yeah. on just four, turn, just you going on 45. 45, so right. Exactly. Uh. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm really interested in uh, what it was like. You 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 obviously you knew your granddad, you knew Bob. Yes. At what point in time when you were young did did you get involved with, with the music, and how did that happen? Well, that was, uh, my involvement in music was from a very young age. Actually, when I first started playing, uh, I was given a rolling pin to act as a fiddle, and then I graduated to that, to a mandolin that had no strings. They refused yeah. to give me strings. And when I was about seven, I got my f first mandolin, which, again, didn't really have strings on it. It wasn't really meant for playing, and then... When I was nine, uh, I was at Bean Blossom. Occasionally, I would travel with Dad uh, when they'd let me overnight, you know, just to get out of the house. And With Dad and Bob and your granddad? No, he died uh, when I was four. Okay. So, uh, music-wise, there's not many memories. I do have a few, Okay. Uh, but I was pretty young at that time. Gotcha. And even though he was gone, I still had a love for music, not necessarily necessarily playing but more as listening and taking everything in and like i said when i was nine two thousand in 2009 we were up at bean blossom i had just gone along for the trip and uh, walking around and at that at that time morgan monroe music had a tent set up on top of the hill and one of the things that they were selling was this new Bill Monroe A model mandolin uh, that they made, and I think it was like a hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars. And so my dad got it for me because I'd loved it, you know. And he said, you know, the trade off for this is I'll buy it, but you got to start playing it seriously, you know. And so he bought it, and it was funny. We took it back to the bus, and uh, my aunt Kathy, who is T.J. and Bobby Lundy's sister. 
She was sitting on the bus and she said, you know, I heard that before Bill Monroe died, he played these mandolins. <laughs> to to a nine-year-old kid, that meant the world. And mm-hmm. after that, uh, it was pretty much off to the races. That's all I needed to of hear. Of course, Morgan Monroe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Morgan. He had to be related some way. Same last name, of right? Of course. <laughs> so uh, so at, at about the, the, at that age, you got involved and... Um, uh, your dad was in the business, is in the yes. business, and uh, was he was pretty encouraging, or he was basically just letting you do your your thing. And he was incredibly encouraging, but uh, he was not very much into mandolin playing. So he knew a song or two, and so he kind of got me into "Will the Circle Be Unbroken?" Very simple break, you know. Sure. And after that, he said, you know, that's all I got. Go with God, you know. <laughs> and uh, that's where I originally, as we had just said earlier in a workshop, that's where I originally got introduced to Homespun Tapes. Right. And Homespun at the time had a uh, Bill Monroe mandolin uh, tape, so to speak, and it came with a set of tablature. And uh, that was to me, golden because I was a huge Monroe fan. I was I was everything Monroe. I had not been exposed yet to these other mandolin players, uh, and that's how I kind of got started and slowly but surely developed into branching out and finding other bands as well as other mandolin players. Um, and that's where I developed my second big influence, which is Ronnie McCurry, and that's that's largely what I base base my style off of them too and Doyle Lawson. Gotcha. Now, of course, uh, during this time, your dad was fronting the band. Correct. Grass. Yes. And so you were aware of your dad as a as a performer. What? How did that affect? I mean, here's your dad on stage in front of you know presumably hundreds of adoring people, thousands of adoring <laughs> yeah. people, and uh, and here's little Ryan. What's going through little Ryan's head? Well, to me. It was awesome to see that. I mean, obviously, it was my dad. I knew he was in a band, and he fronted a band because he was gone a lot before I started playing, you know, so I'd be back at the house. But um, I knew of that he played, and to me, just when I was young, before I joined the band, getting to go on these trips was like getting a, a, a... lifetime dream vacation you know just to get out and be exposed to that and that's where i kind of gained that exposure into oh so this is really what goes on he doesn't just walk into some place and get his guitar out and start playing there's <laughs> there's a lot more that goes into this than that yeah, and bring back lots of dollars yeah, and well <laughs> yeah ones and back. twos i think yeah so here, here you are in the bus and and uh and you've got uh, well, not only your dad, you've got Paisleys and you've got Lundies with you. Yeah, it it all goes back to that family tradition. To me, the Lundies and stuff are my uncles. I refer to them as Uncle TJ, Uncle Bobby, Aunt Kathy, uh, because when I was little, I saw them more than I did members of my own family so they were family to me and it wasn't until i got older it was like wait we're not blood related we're not you know because <laughs> just as a kid you never knew they were just always around they were they were family you yeah. know and for anyone that doesn't know where do the paisleys and lundies reside uh they the paisley family is originally from west jefferson north carolina prior to that uh scotland 
they were Scottish immigrants, and in the 1930s they were part of the Great Migration to come up to come up north for work, and the Paisleys settled in Landenburg, Pennsylvania, very close uh, to Wilmington, Delaware, very close to areas like Rising Sun, Maryland, and. Uh, Washington, D.C., only a few hours away. Philadelphia, maybe an hour away. And so, obviously, it was a great area for work to migrants. Now, the Lundy family hails from the Galax, Virginia area, and very similarly came north and resided in Wilmington, Delaware, near the city, to work in the automobile industry and that kind of thing. So, in this very, very small radius area of where we come from, there's a great hotbed of traditional bluegrass music, old-time music, and those kind of things, because all these people came from the South and settled there and brought their traditions, their heritage, and their music with them. And uh, do you know approximately when the the Paisleys and the Lundys decided to get together and put that first band together? I probably should, but I don't. Um, I know that my grandfather, Bob Paisley, uh, got his start playing in the Korean War. He and another gentleman would do brother-style duets, much like the style of the Lufen brothers. And um, when he came back from the war, kind of turned that into, uh, him and Ted Lunny turned that into their duo thing. Now, Ted Lundy himself had already been playing in his own band, the Southern Mountain Boys, and him and Papa Paisley kind of just combined forces. I don't know the year. I probably should, but I don't. Uh, probably late, late 50s, early 60s, I yes. would guess. By the yes, time. very much so. Okay, so here you are. You're, I don't know, nine, ten years old. Yeah. You're on the bus, and... Uh, and you've got this mandolin either with or without strings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at, Depending at, on the time frame. Yeah. At, at what point in time? And um, and as I recall, and I and I have no idea what year this is, but all of a sudden there's this little little kid standing on on the stage behind the band, and the little kid is Brian Paisley. Yeah. So um, I had even before I started playing. I would go along with that mandolin that actually had strings, but I didn't really know how to play it. Uh, and I'd just stand behind the guys and, you know, go to town on the thing, not making a good noise whatsoever. But um, like I said, after, you know, I got that Morgan Monroe mandolin and I started to learn these tunes, I would normally, like the last song, they'd always end off when I was with them on Will the Circle so I could take a break and, you know, and... So any, any recordings available for that first break of... Actually, you know, we're filming this at Joe Val, and there's a Joe Val YouTube video, uh, I think 2010... I think I could be wrong, and I'm back there going to town on the thing. I think uh, – I don't know if they have the one where I actually took a break or not, but okay. it's there. Was it awesome? I mean. it was, well, <laughs> as a kid, it was it was the coolest thing in the world, you yeah. know. It was like, wow, yeah, I get to stand on stage, you know, and people were nice. They'd always be like, oh, you know, yeah. but even though I couldn't play a lick but yeah. and or I could only play one song, but it – to me, it was just the coolest thing. It really lit that fire. It kindled that fire for bluegrass, you know. And and uh, I mean, eventually, I mean, so at that time, you were you were the sixth guy in a five-piece band. In a five-piece band, making five dollars a day. <laughs> oh, excellent. I thought I was on top of the world, you know. Excellent. Yeah. And and uh, a after those gigs, though, you you went home and you obviously 
work judiciously on refining your, yeah. your mandolin chops. So what what was what were you doing at home to sort of get ready for the the big the big stage? For the big stage, well, a lot of a lot of practicing and a lot of uh, repetition in playing that one song. But um, to me, it just it became ingrained in me to practice and just practice, 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 which. When you do something that you love, it doesn't feel like work. You really enjoy it. So I became very interested in studying bluegrass mandolin even more over that time. Once I learned that first song, it really, it just really uh, made everything even more interesting. So it, it was my drive to kind of go home and say, what can I learn this week? And... So that's when I started to try and listen to tapes. Dad had a, a like a book, probably maybe even a foot high, of just books of CDs, just in, of all these things he had, you know, collected over the year, and then pop one in. There's a Del McCurry CD, and that's how I became introduced to Ronnie McCurry. Like, oh my gosh, who's that guy? And then Doyle Lawson's CD. And so then I would study those people and meticulously try to figure these things out. And about that time, uh, I don't want to drop any names here, but I will. Um, there's a app in the App Store that came out that you could basically slow things down, speed things up, change pitch, so that you could it would make it more easy to learn. And that was great to kind of when you couldn't necessarily play up to speed to bring those things down and learn them and then work your speed up and and how many years did did you do that i mean you're probably still doing that to some extent today yeah uh, so how, how many years did you do that and all of a sudden there was a an opening in the band and how old were you then that was i was about 12 and uh like it was just one of those times of personnel changes and the way it left there was and it mandolin opening, and I was at the point where I could, I wasn't necessarily good, but I could find my way through, you know, and dad would always say to me, he'd always say, you know, you're not there yet, but with enough time and practice and playing in a band, you will get where you need to be. So did, did you approach dad or dad approach you, or is it sort of a mutual? It was kind of a mutual thing, and uh, it was tough. Because they would they would get on me, and and it, it was like Dad would say to me, "It's like this is I'm going to throw you into the fire, like my Dad threw me into the fire." You know, you don't don't expect anything special because you're a kid. If anything, you're going to get it more than anybody else because you're not as experienced as the rest of them are. And when you say they got on me, does that mean the Lundies also got well, on you? Well, at that time, the Lundies in 2012, they weren't in the group anymore. Both of them taking a hiatus. Uh, Bobby Lundy was a tour bus driver. Right. Uh, and TJ was working for uh, Department of Transportation. And so it was uh, myself, um, Mark Delaney, who is still in the group, and uh, a couple of different fiddle players. Um, but... It was funny because in the same sense that they were very um, hard on me, they were also very encouraging, very uh, willing to teach me and to say, okay, well, here's what you need to do. Here's what you did wrong. Here's how you do it right. And so that environment was great because it's really good to sit at home and learn stuff. We all do that. But as I'm sure Mr. Akira would say – 
getting in a band and playing with other musicians is a great learning tool to feel that um, attrition and feel that uh, anxiety of playing and the need to kind of develop timing better because you don't realize that sitting at home you can slow down to find something you could speed up when you feel like it but to get that real sense of timing you have to play with other people and maybe the the desire not to look foolish yeah because i did a good job of that when i first started (laughs) can we talk about marty stewart for yeah for a moment because there was a there was a, something that that I witnessed at Delaware Valley that uh, was I, I know it was emotional for me. It was emotional for for everyone in the audience. And yeah. can 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 you describe how you were feeling? What happened? Well, yeah, describe how I'm feeling? feeling. That was the yeah. first time in my life I'd ever felt my legs leave my body. You know, I just I could not feel my legs. I basically what had happened was at Delaware Valley Bluegrass Festival, Marty was booked with the fabulous superlatives, and uh, at that time, Marty uh, had a little police presence to keep the crowds at bay, you know, and stuff. And at that time, they had kind of roped off the stage to where you, they don't really want a lot of people back there, you know, because people wanted to get back there. They wanted to see him, and he wants to tune up to get ready to go on. And However, there was one little spot that was neglected to be guarded, to which I used to my advantage, <laughs> and that little ramp behind the stage there. So I kind of just casually walked up, showed my armband, and I was in. You know, and I, I went over to him and introduced myself and, I said, hi, Mr. Stewart. My name's Ryan Paisley. Just a huge fan. I love your mandolin playing and your style of playing. And he said, oh, thank you. He was really incredibly nice. And he said, what What do you play? And I said, I'm, I'm a mandolin player. Not very good, but I can play. And he said, he said, well, where is your mandolin? And I said, oh, it's, it's I think it was backstage somewhere. And uh, he said, well, why don't you go get it? And I said, I'm like, sure, you know, and. I brought it up, and he's playing on it, and I'm like, man, I wish I had my phone so I could take a picture, you know? Was there also a conversation with your dad brief before you went on stage with Marty? (laughs) There was, but uh, (laughs) basically what he had said was, this is a great mandolin, and which he was too incredibly kind, and he said, you know, why don't you come up and play a song on me? And immediately, I just, my legs shook, and I was, and so... I didn't really know what to say. I was like, yeah. And I turned around, ran off, and just took off running because we had already played. And we were packing up the car, I think. And I went up to Dad, and I said, Dad, 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 Dad. Marty wants me to play with him. Marty wants me to play with him. He's like, well, you better get a clean shirt on. I don't, you know. <laughs> and so uh, we went up, and I stood backstage and played a little bit with him. And that was just one incredible experience. Do you remember what you played? Uh, we did Bluegrass Breakdown and Rawhide. Right. And he tore them both up. He and, did. And that's not the last time you were on stage yeah. with Marty, though. Yeah, he came back, I think, two years later. And very similar experience. I was back there, and I believe he remembered it a little bit. And he said, let's do it again. And so immediately the leg tremor, tremors came back, and uh, we did it again. I forget what we did that time. But it, both experiences were just incredibly fun. It really was. It was it was incredible. I tell you, it, it had a profound influence on the audience who was obviously on your side. The, the, <laughs> well, I'm the, glad they were. <laughs> yeah, the entire time. So, I mean, since that time, you're, you're now a full-time 
full-time, regular. You are the mandolin guy. Uh, yeah, for better or for worse. <laughs> well, it, it's for better, I'll, uh-huh. I'll guarantee you. And and over the last year or two, you've, you've started doing some other stuff. You've started singing and yeah yeah well you know as things go like bluegrass like we had said earlier people come people go and uh we were at the point where there was no lead vocalist and dad was on me for a while saying hey you need to sing you need to sing you need to sing and i was incredibly shy and and wanted no part of that whatsoever and so finally he kind of one day said put his foot down and said you know if you want to stay in this band you're going to sing and so i started that weekend and that was August 2018, which is so not just, yet a year, right. about six months ago. And you're singing uh, lead, as, uh, some lead? Lead on the choruses, basically, because he sings tenor a lot. And yeah. We're working some other things in to kind of make it a smoother transition into yeah. a full-time. But yeah, any chance of singing tenor at all on some of the- One of these days, he's a hard man to tenor, just trying uh, to sing in the car and stuff. Some of that stuff's like, yeah. I can't get there yet. Um, but... Uh, over time, we'll we'll work some things in. Yeah. Now, I mean, uh, Danny Paisley is is perhaps one of the, the kings of the traditional honky tonk style of bluegrass. Is that that's where your your love is? That's where your heart is. A lot of that. Yeah. Um, obviously, we have a lot different interests as we do the same, but his style and his preferences come a lot from. Obviously, first generation, second generation bluegrass, as well as country. So he's a huge listener of, of Vern Gosden. Loved Vern Gosden to death and Merle Haggard. And so we're always looking to kind of put those in to bluegrass because as bluegrass is today, there's a lot of bands coming in performing that style of country music that nobody ever thought would work in bluegrass. But it's incredibly excelled, you know. So we also share a love of old country music he loves red allen and red smiley and bill harrell and don reno and mac wiseman those are his people and merle haggard and yep. Ron Gostin. yep i understand and and you're taking on a role i mean you're at at 19 um uh you, you've been on the stage you, you've been exposed to the business for for a while what yeah. uh you're uh, do you have any interest in the in the business part of the music business? A lot, and uh, not something that I originally thought I would. Uh, it was pretty early that I realized that there was a lot more, like we had said earlier, to this than walking out on the stage. There's 90% of the stuff that happens at home, and then you walk out and you play, and that's the fun part. You know, it's the papers and the contracts and all that that's that's not the fun part the fun part's getting out there and playing but although it's it's very interesting to see how bands that really take into account of how they should run their business and run their brand how far they've excelled it's really interesting to see and i do find that stuff interesting and you think that might be something that uh in addition to the performance part of the business is something you may want to dig into a little bit definitely looking at that now for uh i'm out of school right now i deferred my first year of college so uh, we'll be going back probably in the fall semester for a to start a business degree any idea where you're going uh you thinking. don't have to tell me. Uh, still thinking. Okay. Still thinking. Still weighing the options. Excellent. And, uh, I mean, before we, uh, you know, get uh, get out of here, I mean, uh, I, I'd 
definitely want to talk about you've got a brand new project out or, yeah, or a very do. new project yeah out. it's just released december 1st we have uh, it's called that's why i'm lonesome it's uh we've got a lot of original tunes on there and we've got some great uh country songs as well and but dad and i were talking and just thinking about let's do something different just to just to keep things interesting and not say anything about it so we uh, we did an old country tune uh, called "Will You Visit Me on Sunday?" George Jones, Charlie Louvin, great, pitiful song. It really is. Oh gosh, got a lot of pitiful tunes. Yeah, Ray Davis used to say, "Plum pitiful." Right. And we put uh, Billy Wheeler, who was a dear friend and sadly just recently passed away. Uh, he came in and did some uh, pedal steel work on it. And Billy is known as a really crackerjack banjo, banjo player. player. Right. Not many people knew he was such an excellent steel player. And then I called my friend Rhonda Vincent and said, hey, we need a, like a tenor singer on here that could really let, belt it out. Let, let me interrupt. He just said, I just called my friend, comma, Rhonda Vincent. How, how, how did that happen? Well, we've become friends over the past couple of years. She's a very funny person and another very intelligent person, very, very business smart um, and We've been playing shows. We do the show with her every year in Maryland at the Milburn Stone Theater. And um, I've, I've always been a huge fan of her music. And just we would talk sometimes backstage. And we've become friends. And I, I texted her and said, hey, we really need like a high tenor, a really strong tenor on this. And she said, I'd love to do it. And we sent it out to her. And she sent it right back. And so it's on there as well. And we, we didn't really advertise it. We wanted to see, get that shock reaction to see what people thought of it. And a lot of people have liked it. So we were we were happy. Yeah, and just uh, just for um, for sake of full disclosure, it is on Patuxent Records. It is on is Patuxent Records. Uh, you can get it uh, information on how to get it on dannypaisley.com, uh, Patuxent Music's website, and it's also available on streaming platforms, iTunes. And even better yet, show up at a Danny Paisley yeah. in Southern Grass and get performance. It, and get it in CD, you yeah. know? And Danny will smile and hand it to you directly. And he, should, he may even yeah. sign it. You never know. <laughs> well, uh, before we wrap up, uh, and I really appreciate your time, Ryan. It's, oh, I'm honored uh, to be here. Well, the honor's all mine. Um, any Anything on your mind before we... Uh, this is a free-form question. A, right? We're going to open it up now, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, I tell you, I, I love this music. And I love that the one thing that we have in Bluegrass that we don't have anywhere else is that we can come together and we're all really a big family and we're a big community. I mean, like if you went to a big rock concert you wouldn't be hanging out with people and people wouldn't be as readily accessible as they are at a bluegrass festival and it's it's great to see bluegrass music ad advance and evolve but it's also great to see that its foundation is still strong and bluegrass music is meant to be seen live indeed yeah so yeah. go out to uh, danny paisley in southern grass indeed concert um ryan again thank you very much for your time i appreciate you. it very much thank and you for having me we're going to see you down the road i'm sure i'm sooner sure than later. i hope so thanks uh, man thank you okay that was ryan paisley member of the dan paisley and southern grass band talking with howard parker at the 34th annual joe val bluegrass festival in framingham massachusetts i'm katie daly thanks for listening to bluegrass stories